This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Wayne Chang. And I'm Scott. Scott is back. <laughs> oh, yes. But unfortunately, we had to sacrifice Keith in order to get Scott back. So. That's all right. All hail Zoriat. <laughs> all hail Zoriat. <laughs> <sighs> Our Delcure overlords. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, we said that out loud. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Keith, Keith couldn't make it for this recording. Uh, he is traveling. He's been traveling all over the place. You got to spend some time with him at PAX East, uh, Wayne, which yeah. sounds pretty cool. It was, and, a, it was a great yeah. con. Yeah, and uh, and I think just before that he was at Joko Cruise, and now he's like in oh, Wales yeah. or something like that. You know, he's traveling. Yeah, he's he's somewhere in Scotland. I'm pretty sure. But. Right, right. Yeah. So he's uh, he's just like traveling the globe and doing all sorts of fun, crazy stuff. Nice. Uh, so, uh, with that said, in this episode we are swinging from chandeliers, climbing the rigging, and balancing across the rails of airships as we dive off into swashbuckling action. And uh, yeah, that's that's the topic for, for this episode is swashbuckling action. Um, now, what do we mean when we say swashbuckling action? Do we mean just pirates or rogues or like- Of course. You know, right, yeah, because that's, <laughs> that's all we know. Only pirates and rogues, absolutely. <laughs> right. So I think that's, you know, that's one of the first things that we sort of want to- put out there is that um it's not just for pirates and rogues it's it can be something that's open to really any class and uh what we're going to talk about throughout this episode is sort of how you can creatively explore that um both in terms of narration as well as mechanically um so you know like we're in, in our in our own notes here we have some ideas of like you know some examples of things like you know the cleric flips a table onto its side shoves it against a group of skeletons to pin them against a wall then smashes them with a sweeping arc of her mace right uh or like you know uh the uh, the wand slinger behind the table like an old western shootout um yeah i mean there's all sorts of really cool stuff what what does swashbuckling mean to you guys when you guys think of swashbuckling action in your games what does that mean to you Wayne, you want to go? Sure. I, I mean, it's just um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll talk about the the movies and whatnot, but really, it's it's there's a, a feel to it, and yeah, you know, pirates and and rogues and the the outlaw that that's a pretty central to that theme. Mm -hmm. But you know, if if you look at it, if you look at it just the the pure um, definition of it, I mean, it's just a it's an old. Uh, European heroic archetype where it's kind of like sword and acrobatics and flips and and like kind of romantic ideals and and sort of like heroic ideals and um and that doesn't have to be you know maybe acrobatics and full plate is is a little difficult but that doesn't have to be a rogue that hasn't doesn't have to be a pirate that can be um just how you treat um your games and how you treat the action in your games and we'll have some examples of that a little little afterwards um but it's also the idea I, I feel it's like the idea of just having a little more flair a little more bravado and flamboyance um ostentatiousness in what you're doing um you know obviously maybe not walking down the street in a you know an rpg setting but um in the action that you take and the the way that you do things as a character 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Scott, yeah. what's what's your take on it, man? Yeah, it is definitely that. It's that moment where you get to just really go over the top with your descriptions. And that's where you see a lot of people talk about uh, the, hey, I take the glass off the table and smash it across the face. Or, you know, as I slide it across the table, I crescent kick a bottle of ale into the dude, you know, waiting to catch me, slide on my feet pop back up and now we're in a fencing position or yeah, I'm running up the wall, bouncing off the wall and putting all that energy into a stroke or to a move or to a tumble. I mean, it's just, you, you gotta go big. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's uh that's a really good point. And, and you know what, let's go ahead and dive into some movies to inspire as examples. Um, you know, I think of characters that are like, you know, they might be the equivalent of let's say a ranger or a fighter, even doing some of these types of things like sure. Van Helsing is, like filled with swashbuckling action and throughout that um the mummy rick i mean he's just a fighter really more than anything a mercenary to some extent mm-hmm. um but you know i was i was even thinking of like uh, like legolas in lord of the rings sure you know, he's like you know i mean he, he as ridiculous as it looks <laughs> he's doing some amazing things right like Absolutely. really over the top you know swashbuckling type yeah stuff. the tusks the tusk surfing yeah right mm-hmm. right exactly <laughs> yeah um so, you know, in our list, we, you know, we got a few things, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is, is very obvious. I think that's even in the, in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. I love that film. It's so cheesy <laughs> it's over the top movie, but it's, it's awesome. Right. Like, is that, yeah. yeah. Yes. Is that the one with Jeremy Renner? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think I have seen it then. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, but we even see some of it in the Star Wars prequels, you know, like yes. the, the, the chasing Coruscant, right. Or, you know, in that, in the arena and things like that. Um, well, that's where uh, Star Wars took that real pulpy swashbuckly turn. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. Any MCU movie that you've seen, uh, maybe, maybe not incredible Hulk, but <laughs> just about everything else. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's, there's the three musketeers, uh, the musketeer in 2001. That was another good example. Mm-hmm. Princess bride is a classic, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, if you want some comic relief, there's Robin hood men in tights. <laughs> and, the the and, chandelier uh, scene. The chandelier. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, and for that matter, anything with Errol Flynn in it. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Know, and, um, so there's there's a ton. of This is just a short list of, of some stuff that you can see out there. And there's a ton of stuff out there. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's really cool to sort of, you know, look at look to these for inspiration and not just imagine that, you know, archetype rogue or pirate or whatever but try to imagine your own class your own character doing some of those cool things mm-hmm. uh you know doing anything it takes to get that advantage in combat right yeah, and that's like it's it should be class independent right a lot of folks get stuck in the tropes of like i'm the studious mage no man i mean it's just a game and it doesn't really affect anything there's no rule bending so have your magic missiles bounce off of mirrors or you know um mm-hmm. Yeah, I man, that's a simple one, right? You bounce it off walls, but who cares? Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. It hits unerringly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, Have fun so, with it. Right. Um, so, so for readings, uh, there's there's the, there's a classic article from the drag, old Dragon Shards archive, and it is it was one of the earliest ones actually. It was Swashbuckling 101 Combat, mm. and um, in that one, uh, I believe Keith wrote that. Let me double check that real quick. Uh, and yeah, it was by Keith. 
God, he writes, he's so prolific. And, uh, you know, and he talks about how you, how you can use like terrain and, and such, uh, either as, you know, as a DM encouraging the players or as a player, you know, like trying to take advantage of, of the terrain and, and things that are, uh, uh, that, that might be in the scene, which also brings to, uh, the section in Wayfinder's Guide under the Pulp Adventure uh, section, there's on page eight, there's that sidebar, um, it's environmental elements, which I think is a really cool narrative tool. It's it's sort of like soft narrative mixed with mechanics in a way, um, but it's a really cool thing for GMs to keep in mind, I think, in terms of, you know, creating a quick list of of the things that might exist in that room or in that scene. Uh, and then, and then letting the players use those things, uh, in the combat or in the, yeah, sure. Um, I think that's, um, I think that's something not, not lazy DM. I I don't want to, I don't want to point that out specifically, but with everything that you're juggling, um, with everything that you're juggling, being a DM, the story and everything like that. Sometimes those things really get hit by the wayside. And I think as we talk about for players and for GM stuff, as we come up, um, it's something that, especially for an Eberron game that you're going to have to partition a piece of your brain and a piece of your, your DM mind to, to get into that. And you see a lot of, um, you do see some, some of the more descriptive DMs who are, let's say on Twitch or whatnot. Like that's one of the things that they really do uh, try to, push in their games is a lot more description and we'll get I, I'll, I'll get into what more what i mean as we'll talk about it but um i just want to make sure that everybody knows that we're not saying oh you're a bad person if you don't know these event, <laughs> events but um it's something as a, a dm it's it's something that will really really i, I believe will really really help the, the flavor and tone of your eberron game um, when you're remembering some of those things and and for players just remember sometimes a dm is gonna have a lot on their mind you can help them out a bit, but I, I think that's kind of stepping into our next subject here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think, uh, I, th- I think that's, it's, it's really important for players who want to explore that to not be afraid to, to push for that, um, that style of play. Uh, so for example, like, you know, I, I think, I think it should be up to the players to maybe say, you know, I really want to explore this type of action. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I think it's also important for, to get buy-in from everybody, but, and we'll get into this for the GMs as well. Like, you know, try to set those expectations up front or, you know, be open to conversation about it. I think it's really easy. I've been in games, for example, where I'm like, you know, I'm playing D and D five E in another campaign, for example. And I'm like, Oh, you know, can I get higher ground advantage for this? Or, you know, I try to think of scenarios and the DM's like, nah. <laughs> no there's 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 no rules for that i'm like wait what you know yeah. oh, man. And, and i think it's i think people get stuck on what is in the rules what's in print versus mm-hmm. yeah you know what that sounds cool go for it i'm gonna give you advantage on your on your next attack roll you know? yeah or disadvantage like if you want to do something crazy like i can't i can't reach the target in a move right so for D, so i'm gonna move where i can and then i'm gonna my paladin's gonna hurl her bastard sword end over end right right mm-hmm Okay, you can do it. Disadvantage though. Yeah, I mean, cool. Cool. I'll take it. You know, it's either that or do nothing. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> um, and I. So I, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think players should feel comfortable to to you know maybe suggest some of those things to to their GMs, uh, in a in a either in a scene or you know for the campaign as a whole. Um, what about you guys? You, you know, Scott, do you have any experiences with something like that 
in terms of uh, games you've played? Uh, yeah, like actually using swashbuckling. Yeah, or trying to, and then feeling like you're kind of shut down, or like the rules uh, don't support it, or. So yeah, I mean, it's, I don't want to smash on certain systems, but there are systems that are less <laughs> uh, productive when it comes to this, unless you have the right mix of people. But like, uh, I mostly run Savage Worlds or uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, and so those ju- it just it's kind of ingrained into that. Dungeon Crawl Classics is another one where. Uh, maybe not for all the character classes, although they could do it, but it's very specifically ingrained in it for the uh, the warrior class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just – it's eking that out of people uh, really. But yeah, I use it all the time uh, in gaming and I encourage the player because I'll ask him like, hey, cool. How do you do that? Because this thing, this is here and this is here. And it's you know, sort of get him to thinking like, oh, shit, I, I get – oh, I swore. <laughs> oh, no, I could, uh, you know, I could do something different besides uh, I walk up and I hit it with my sword because that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's just boring. So you make an interesting point about systems because I've been struggling with this myself uh, coming from Sav- like, well, I played D&D, went to Savage Worlds where I, I started feeling more empowered. And now I'm coming back into D&D playing in a campaign as mm-hmm. a player. And and I've been struggling with this where I, I'm, it's it's those flat die rolls again. It's the yeah. so many failures before you get a success. <laughs> uh, and, and I actually I had a conversation with somebody on on actually it was the. Uh, uh, somebody I met at work actually. We we had a conversation briefly over Facebook about it, um, where you know it, he, his take on it was you know that 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 could just be solved with how you frame it, right? How you narrate those failures and then the impact of the success. But my argument was that as a player, I'm still playing a game, sure, and I'm still feeling like I'm not doing anything. Yeah. You know, even if I'm missing, yeah, narratively it might be cool, but I'm like, but I'm not doing anything. There's know? no uptick to the narrative. Right. So, so we know you're, you're deep in 5e, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to get a sense from you when you're running an Eberron campaign or when you're playing an Eberron campaign, let's mm-hmm. say, because we're trying to look at the player's perspective at this moment. How do you solve that? Like, what, what tools do you use? So, I, I mean, because D and D is a inherently pass fail system, it's not like <clears throat> it's not like Dungeon World where there's a you know partial success or a yes but sort of thing. <laughs> um, the, it, it is sort of there is a there's that black and white um, moment. But one of the things that I find that a lot of DMs do or that I try to do is just to get that, um, just to get that narrative in because you can still give information on a failure. So. If you don't know what the AC is to hit something, you can tell someone you just strike the shield or you scrape by, um, you know. And this is very, this is one one of those things where it's very, very DM dependent, right? The DM has to give you that information, and um, it's one of the things that if you're if you ever start writing adventures, um, you, you need to <clears throat> you have to remember that the descriptions you give are the entirety of the person's of this person's world, right? It's, it's not, um, especially for D and D it's very, very, the DM controls the narrative. The DM controls the environment. They control the senses that you have. Uh, I know I'm getting a little away from swashbuckling collection. I'll, I'll come back in a sec, <laughs> but you, you know, when you're doing these, when you're doing these things, um, it's, um, it's very like it's very heavily on that DM side. So as a player, you just try to you can try to be very very descriptive. You can try to be very very um, 
um, just go very, very far into it. Just kind of get into what you need to do. If you fail, you fail. But mm-hmm. hopefully, if you've got that buy-in from the DM, you've got that buy-in from the whole party, uh, you've got the buy-in from all the players, you're going to start having a little bit of exchange back and forth with the DM, with the players to be like, you know what? You need an 18 to hit. You got a 17. Ah, oh, your sword just scrapes scrapes by. You know, you, you can almost find purchase. And that's giving you information for the next hit. But yes, there is that sort of, it's a D20, right? I mean, you can roll yeah. one to 20. That's a big, big swing. So <clears throat> if you need a eight or higher to hit, you're still going to roll a one to seven once in a while, you know, and that, I think that's difficult. I think there's, there's definitely some frustration in that you have a, a cold dice night and, you know, or, or whatnot. Um, but as a player, you can sort of try to build the, the ability to get into the advantage or even build yourself a disadvantage and go do something crazy and stupid. Um, but I, I feel that in general, and I'm not saying every player, but in general, a lot of, because there's a, an action economy, because there's a sort of hit or miss, you know, there's no like kind of middle ground there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do feel like you do really want to get something in there and people end up forgetting that there's a help action. Um, there's, <clears throat> there's ways to maybe distract someone, get an d- advantage, do something stupid and and try to slide into their legs. Disadvantage, you know, you end up prone, but uh, maybe something will work. You know, right. there, there's always sort of something in there. Um, but again, that's a I think that's a style thing rather than specifically for the system. I think I think you're onto something there because I yeah. you know coming from Savage Worlds, there's a lot of combat options that any character can do. You know, there's wild attack, there's you know gang up bonuses, you know things like that that really empower players with options like okay i don't think i'm going to be able to just swing and hit but if i surround if if the three of us surround that target you know we might have a higher chance of of hitting him right um and then coming to D, there's nothing i don't see very readily those types of things in play but you just mentioned a couple things um that that i you know like help you know there's there's the help option and things like that that um that i think could help or even you know suggesting to a dm hey i'm willing to take a disadvantage on this die roll if i can do a full run slide under the table you know and then like you know stab him in the back from you know or whatever it is right like mm-hmm. um yeah i i think that's 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 really good uh good insight there i think yeah so yeah. i think with that too there's i i have had situations where a player um, has told me something very vague that they're trying to do without being very specific. And, and what I mean by that is they just gave me like a series of questions <laughs> and I'm like, what are you trying to do? So, <laughs> you know, the, I, I, I kind of wrote up a fake example, a fake example here where, um, you know, for example, like, is there a table? How big is it? Is it stable? What kind of, what is it made of? You know, things like that. And I'm like, what do you, why do you care so much about this table? <laughs> But then as I investigate further and I really like ask, like, what is, what's important here? What, what is, what is meaningful to this player here? It turns out that they just want to like climb up on top of the table and get higher ground advantage. And I'm like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. go ahead. You know? So I think as a player, it's important to really just state what it is you're trying to accomplish. Like what's the problem you're trying to solve rather than just ask, you know, some weird random questions like, is there a chandelier? How high is it? You know, is, can I climb up the, you know, is the rope climbable, you know? Um, yeah, 
I think um, I, I think I know we're kind of again we're we're floating a little into the the DM territory, but even though I guess it's pretty straightforward in terms of D and D about the advantage disadvantage, but you can always throw a little bit here and there, um, and. I think damage is one of those things that you can sort of get away with. It's like I can give you a little bit of extra damage, um, you know. I can give you a little bit of extra dice or uh, um, that kind of thing. Like I know there's like a limited amount of conditions, and I, I tend to sort of, I tend to sort of look at that and go like, you know, as a player, sometimes you look and you go, "What's the best thing I can do this round?" And I think we do that for any any game and any any game that we're playing. Um, even especially board games, like what's the optimal move here? Um, so I don't get killed. I don't get my party killed and I do something and I, I feel effective. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it really, it does come down to that sometimes, yeah. you know, you know, and, and I think that's for, for anything. I mean, uh, when I play Savage Worlds, you're kind of going, you know, do I take three actions and do, and be at like minus four for the round? Like is, but can I do like, you kind of look at that and you kind of, you kind of weigh your options a little. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I I can definitely I can definitely see that especially in D and D where it's kind of like it's it's a pat it's like yes or no yes or no, um, but if you look at certain you know you look at certain things, I think one of the biggest the the most used swashbuckling action move that I see is someone jumping off something to land on something, and to hurt it, to either land on a pick and 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 grab onto it or land on it and hurt it. Yeah. And it's very, very simple. Go, you know what? It's going to be really funny. And you all, you know, the good DMs are like, I think that's going to be really hilarious. Tell me what you do. And I'll tell you how much damage you deal to it and yourself. No problem. I'll, I'll let you do it. Right. Um, but I think a part of that is just the players need to feel really comfortable knowing that you don't have to make the optimal decision or you don't have to make the quote unquote smart decision. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I get caught up in this as well. It's like, what's the best decision I can make right here. But sometimes you just got to go like, I, I'm just, I'm going to take a leap, leap of faith and literally jump off the airship and let's hope I hit something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I've been in situations where like, I want to get on the other side of like, you know, maybe we're in a narrow corridor. We got a monster in front of us. Right. And I want to get on the other side of it and by monster. I mean like, you know, a hobgoblin or whatever it is. And I'm like, I want to run up to the wall, jump off with one foot onto there, put my land, my other foot on his shoulder and then flip over to get on the other side, you know? And whereas normally it'd be like, no, you can't move through a square, you know? So I think, you know, really looking for, for really cool, flavorful ways to sort of bend the rules a little bit, but I, but you're right. Going back to the buy-in, it really does require, you know, everybody in the group, to to be willing to accommodate that yeah and it, yeah people are just conditioned to play a certain way too no matter what game system sort of like what i'm saying it really is true yeah and it's unfortunate but well let's let's get into then how how gms might be able to help with this um i i, I think right off the bat it's i mentioned this earlier setting the expectations up front um you know, if this is if this is the type of game that you're willing to play or that you want to focus on, let everybody know. Um, I think if if you have players, for example, who aren't used to that, give them a few films to watch. Like have them choose one film that they you know they might want to watch that might inspire them. Um, but I think I think it's really important for GMs to do their best to empower the players, to give them those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, 
<clears throat> I think setting table expectations, as we mentioned earlier, but really have the, the DM or the GM have that buy-in. <clears throat> because um, I think I've said it before, and, and, and if anybody who's kind of talked to me about, about this stuff knows that one of the things I feel, find the most important um, as a DM is to not hold anything back in terms of room descriptions or mm-hmm. um, to not have that adversarial thing. You know, Christian's example in, in before was was a was one of the things that I think I would have had struggled before. If someone, if I'm the DM and someone's asked me, "Is there a table? How big is?" it? And I'm kind of going, "Whoa, whoa! What are you trying? Like, what are you trying to figure out? Like, what advantage you're trying to get?" Instead of saying, "You're trying to get an advantage or something." Tell me what you want to do, you know, and to invite that question, right? Because I find because the DM controls the table so much, because um, especially in a, a a DM system, I know there's certain systems that have DMs, but you know are a little bit different, like PTBA, uh, PBTA. I always <laughs> say that wrong. I always say that wrong. Um, where the the characters can define a lot of things, or the players can define a lot of things. In something like D and D, or even Savage Worlds, where you have to give that description. If it's a ten by ten room, you've got to tell the players we're in that ten by ten room, and it can't be like make a perception roll to see if you f- see the painting on the wall. Right? Yeah. No, no, no. The painting is on the wall, you know. And if you want to bring it down and smash it over the guy's head so the the frame ca- catches his arms, I got to tell you the painting is there, or I've got to give you a painting because you're going to tell me to do that. You know, it can't be like, oh, you didn't notice the painting before, but like, you didn't tell me. Yeah, well, but you of course, can't account for everything. In it. I mean, you, you would take hours to describe this. I mean, I'm sitting in my game room and it would take me an hour to describe this room to people. Right. You know, but yeah. basically, and I'll be honest, as a player, I'm not going to remember half of it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why it's easier yeah. just to get the mother, instead of mother, may I, right? Just tell them up front and be like, hey, this is going to, you're going to have some narrative control regardless of what system it is. Uh, because I'm not here to, I'm not here to mm-hmm. win. I don't, yeah. no one wins Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it's, it's not a thing unless it's tournament play, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's stop being adversarial towards each other and challenge each other. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's, that's the thing that will create an environment where people can feel like a swashbuckler, where they can feel crazy and, and uninhibited because the DM is going to be on their side. And I think that's one of the things that like, <laughs> like people have learned <laughs> okay I, like i'll be very honest i'm trying not to be offensive right like and this is something i've i've done done myself like you've been the adv- adversarial dm where yeah. it's kind of like it's you against the players yeah it is not and to have them feel fun like you're supposed to play the you play the bad guys but you don't you're not their adversary the dm is always going if it comes to, to it the dm is always going to win because lightning bolt comes from the sky and kills you, right. I win. Rocks right? fall, everybody dies. But, yeah, rock right. falls, everybody <laughs> dies. Right, dragon talk. Right, so you know, and um, but if you give the pl- if you enable the players, even in a in a more pass fail system like D anD D, if you give them that ability to do stuff and you encourage it, and you you know you make oppor- you create opportunities for it and you encourage opportunities for it. That's the first mentality, I think, to play a swashbuckling game and to have a game where you don't have to describe, you know, every every five feet of dungeon where you can sort of give the information and the players can expect you to give them the important stuff. Yeah. I mean, I want to see the story unfold just like everyone else at the table does. Right. Right. Do you... I'm, I'm curious if either one of you feel like 
or feels like that there's a, um, I don't know if it's a traditional outlook or, or where it comes from really, but this sort of like, I can't let my players be, uh, easily successful or feel too empowered or Um, is is there a, do you feel that sometimes in, in certain circles or? Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes it's the obverse. Mm hmm. I think um, I think in in general you you want it's not that you don't want them to succeed you want them f- I, I always want to make people feel like they earned it um, I'll tell you a little secret and if my players are are listening um, <laughs> sorry you got to learn the secret um, I generally I sometimes don't track um, hit points um, very very closely for monsters yeah um, and sometimes if I feel that it is going to be if I see that they are fighting their hardest, I will always give the the monster one more hit point. Hmm. Uh, they'll basically knock it down to basically nothing, and they will freak out trying to hit it. Yeah. And that last hit is more satisfying. Like is more. Um, it's it's just one of those things that I do, and I think they're trying to figure it out because I don't. It doesn't look like I'm tracking hit points very carefully <laughs> these days. Right. I, right. I'm, I'm not I'm not DMing right now, but I, I like doing that because that gives. I, it it kind of gives that excitement. It lets them, but that means I can go the opposite direction. So if I think that they're over struggling, I'll be like, "Oh, and you did it!" And they they'll sit up and, and cheer. Um, I do feel like it is my job a little bit to entertain that. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you know, and it goes both ways. So it's like, you know, I don't. Sometimes, yeah, it's absolutely right. I don't want them to have too easy a fight but sometimes especially if something that's like a heist game or like you're playing shadow run and they plan everything correctly you throw the one wrench in they solve the one wrench let them go let them let them have their easy victory um and they feel great and when if it's when it's down to the wire and you're kind of like they're feeling the tension give the monster just that one extra hit point you know, so they stay up one more round, or they they're desperately trying to figure out how to eke out a little more damage to it, um, so that they can win, and they feel that satisfaction. And I, I feel that when they're when they're really involved and really into it, you get a gauge of of what to do at that point. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think Scott's dolphin familiar agrees with you. And went downstairs and got a toy. I don't know. No, it's all good, man. I just thought it was funny. No, I, I think um Yeah, I, I think that you know it's almost like like DJing, right? Like where you're you're reading the audience mm-hmm. and you're trying to select what's gonna be the next track, right? And you know, what are you gonna mm-hmm. mix into the set? Um and I think I think you're right. I think I think there's some of that, like reading reading your players and how they're feeling about the encounter. Because I've been in encounters too, where it's like this just feels like a slog and nobody's really having fun. Oh, yeah. And you know, I feel like at that point, it's like, okay, well, let's move on to something that's fun. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, or you know, there's also the 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 concept that, um, you know, D and D is a game of attrition and of um, yeah. yeah, you know, resource management. Um, you know, and and experience points, you know, gathering now five E. I love the fact that they do milestones as an option, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. I love it. Um, and Savage Worlds actually does that now with Adventure Edition. Um, but that that whole thing of like the the experience point system, 
used to frustrate the heck out of me <laughs> because it was like we're just putting these encounters in just so you get xp so that you're strong enough to go to the next monster well why not just make you strong enough to go to the next monster right you, know? you didn't want to gather the 3.52 million experience points to get to 18th level <laughs> you mean fifth level yeah <laughs> So, sorry. I, no, you're good. Yeah. No, no. Um, you know, but so, so you know, there's a lot of encounters where it's just, it's just that. It's just slogging through to get the XP. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think when taking a swashbuckling approach as a GM, um, you know, I, I, I think it empowers you a little bit to make those basic encounters more cinematic, more interesting, more engaging. Like, they don't feel like slogs mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, as, as a D&D aside, you know, D&D is meant to, like the experience point system is meant to take you very quickly to fourth or fifth level. Mm-hmm. And then it's supposed to take you longer from fifth to 10th, because that's sort of the sweet spot of where D&D is supposed, fifth edition is supposed to play. Right. Um, and, and there's a reason for it. You get a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool play, a lot of monsters in, yeah. in that, then in that level that area but it's also the ability that's also the time when you actually feel powerful but you still have some fear <laughs> right it's yeah not like it's not like when you get the higher levels it was like i have no fear i'm going to use my staff of power and my holy avenger and i'm just gonna do 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 walk through you know sweep through I'm legendary i'm cast you know i'm gonna cast wish on this guy because i'm gonna cast the wish on this cobalt i'm gonna walk through it right yeah. but that level where it's like and i think that's the I think I feel ideally that's where a lot of 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 Eberron campaigns should kind of be set and 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 I, I don't know because I haven't run um, that much in fifth edition Eberron, um, but I feel like that's the best place for it to be set where you are not the most powerful people on earth uh, on 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 the planet, but you are those heroes that Eberron needs right now. Right, but you're also not the most powerful things on. You know, you're getting to the point where you're going to surpass everybody else in power, where you hit 11th level and you're hitting six level spells that nobody knows about. But you're kind of in that great power range where everybody, you know, the other heroes are maybe a little bit lower than you. And you get to do the cool stuff. You know, you can cast Fireball, but so can the guy with the wand, um, you know, and you're not an archmage yet. But that assassin is a little bit higher than you, a little more powerful than you, but you still can beat beat him or her, right? I, I think that's where you can you. I, I think I feel like that's where the best Eberron feel will be. Um, now you can correct me if I'm wrong. Someone who's run fifth uh, edition Eberron longer than I have, you know, <laughs> I can be wrong about this. Um, but I, I think those are the really fun, cool levels. Where you're really, really, really excited to get to that next level. Like when you're in the first level, you're really excited to get out of that first level. I mean, like I don't want to play. It's like yeah. I want to get to something where I'm more powerful. But in those levels, you're like you're really excited to hit that next level, that next ability, that next thing you can right. do, and uh, and a lot of those powers in there. Yeah, there's maybe one or two powers you would get in that that swing where it's, it's not as they're just kind of flavor, but. Like to the back to the swashbuckling thing, these are when those powers sort of be like, you know, I'm going to the, you know, going with something completely different. The wizard's going to jump off, you know, off the plane and be like, all right, I have, I have time for two spells. The first one's fireball to throw at the, the dragon underneath me, and the second one's to cast fly so I can go back up. You know, those kind of silly, stupid little things that you can do, but now you can actually do them. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And you could actually survive a fall. <laughs> so, that, you know, that, that raises a good point because that, that was another conversation I had uh, with respect to Eberron, where Eberron, you're supposed to be the big damn heroes in the setting. Even at level one, you're the you're the exception, right? And, I, and that's why you have things like, well, three, five was action points, optional rule and 5e hero points, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I And I, I, I always felt like it was a little bit hard to really express that, though, as a first level character. Um, but you make a good point. Like what if you, what if you started a campaign at fifth level instead? And we have the last war as evidence of you having had some action, right? As some mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's an interesting notion. Like why not, even if it's a, an adventure run, you know, designed for first level characters. So what if you're fifth level, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good way to sort of dive in and just feel really impressive. And then when you start coming up against those more challenging encounters, then it's like, Oh, shit just got real. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, go ahead. No, no, I mean, it's, and one of the things that I've always found is that I I find a lot of the, the players I play with. Yeah. People like starting from first level, kind of get, lets them define their characters, but getting to those, those levels makes you feel like a hero. And I feel like part of swashbuckling is to feel heroic it yeah it's to do silly acrobatic you know over the top things <clears throat> but if you're a first level character and be like i'm gonna jump off the roof and land on this guy and be like okay yeah. you're gonna jump 30 feet you're gonna take 3d6 damage yeah the average is 10 and you have six hit points how do you think this is gonna work out for you right you know those kind of things I, but you don't you don't feel like you can survive a mistake in swashbuckling because i feel like part of that swashbuckling thing is yes i'm gonna do this awesome thing i've got two d20s i'm gonna give me advantage i roll one and a two yeah like and you're gonna be like ah and the dm laughs the whole table laughs you land you know you land upside down with your you know your butt sticking out at the beholder you know like whatever it is right um it feels like you can actually survive doing something stupid survive the swing on the chandelier and a miss um you know you know if you want to go running through a burning building you know you're gonna take some damage i mean it's you know and or you're gonna you're gonna slide across the lake and fall into the lake well it's gonna get a little cold um but then you also have the powers to kind of do some of those fun things i mean there is actual swashbuckler subclass it's for a rogue Um, i played that subclass it is fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it, right? And one of the things it does is movement. Mm-hmm. You get into that subclass. I know it's third level, but <clears throat> you get into that subclass, and the first, one of the first things you can do is attack and move away. All of a sudden, you have that dynamic combat rather than I'm standing here and I'm, I'm swinging. And don't get me wrong. I don't like that part about D&D, but you know, that's <laughs> tactically what it is. Right, yeah. And you can stab something and move away and try to get yourself away from, from danger. That's pretty cool. I mean, just in general, and it's already baked into that class. It's already baked in what you do. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> and you can just do that in Savage Worlds. <clears throat> just saying. True statement. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have a few systems, that movement is not really that important. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but like, and then, but stuff like you know, <clears throat> having your uh, charisma bonus to initiative, so you can go first. Those kind of things. It's it's just a lot of little fun things you get as you build up and. You know, I for Savage Worlds, obviously, your 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 base level character is a lot more powerful than a first level character in D anD. d But you're 
you know, for me, when I, I didn't, I don't get to play a lot of camp- campaigns, but looking at it going, oh, how would I level this character up is still a lot of fun. Be like, oh, if I do this, they're going to be able to do this later on, you know, and I'll be able to do more silly things. I think um, recently I, I was making um, Savage Rift's characters and you're just like, you start at, what's the second tier? <laughs> you know, season, you've got a little, season, you've got a little yeah. season, thank <laughs> you. You've got a little bit of advancement. So there's a little bit of play in there and you kind of get the play and you're like, oh, okay. This is pretty fun. And you're like, oh, what are some of the silly things I can do with this? What's some of the combos I can do with my powers? Um, just And you f- you feel like there's more you can play rather than be like, well, I'm going to go around the corner and stab that cobalt and hope it doesn't stab me back because I'm going to fall. Yeah. I have a secret yeah. for people who want to start at like fifth level or sixth level or seasoned or anything. You want to look up backstory cards. They are amazing and they are perfect for Eberron and they will get you that backstory that you generally want to create from the early levels. Um, and it gets everyone on the same page. It gets the group dialogue going, the dynamic, and that really kicks in the creativity at the table. And then mm-hmm, you jump mm-hmm. into a swashbuckling. Is that those blue and white cards that I think yes. you drive through? Yeah. Yep. I have every single one of them and they are just perfect. I keep looking at those oh, and I, I don't know why I haven't bought them yet. They're so good. Cool. All right. There's a noir set, so and a horror set. <laughs> well, there so. you go. Oh, that's a uh, Brooklyn <laughs> Indie Games uh, mm-hmm. makes this. Yeah, yeah. They have a uh, they have several decks. All right, Scott, you might have just sold me on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're worth the money, man. I use them every game I play, regardless of genre, and it's a huge hitter on the table. It really is nice. Very cool. All right. All right. I'm gonna- <laughs> adding to my wish Someone's list. Someone's going on drive through today. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, Wayne, you, and you touched on something earlier too. Like, it, it, I, I don't know why I keep harping on this. It's just my my sticking point with with certain games where, yeah, you know, you're describing this cool thing you want to do, and you roll those dice, and <laughs> you're just like, well, no, that's not happening. You know, there's no coming back from that. Um, yeah, and, and 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 not again, not to like be like, oh, Savage Worlds, um, but you know that that happened to me actually in a D and D game, and my first thought was, mm-hmm. where's my wild eye? Where are my bennies? You have inspiration. <laughs> Why didn't you use it? I didn't have inspiration. How come you didn't have ins- you didn't have inspiration? Because I don't. I think ninety percent of DMs in fifth edition ignore just it. Ignore it completely. I I, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I think that's that's you know, part of the struggle is, is different DMs have different styles. They employ certain mechanics, which seem sort of optional and times when I, uh, I don't know what it is about D and D where I'm like, you know, can I get advantage on this? They're like, no, mm-hmm. like, well, why not? You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, and it's, and that's not, I don't mean to speak ill about my DM or anything like that. It's, you know, it's, 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 um, it, it just doesn't seem to feel I don't want to keep harping on it. <laughs> it's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. No, no, yeah. it's no, it's perfectly fine. I think, I think um, <clears throat> again, we're kind of going on a side here. Yeah. I think a lot of um, I think a lot of D and D DMs um, hew to the rules, the mechanics of the rules, yeah. um, very very heavily. Um, and there's not a ton of them. I mean, it's quite a still a thick book. Um, but I think we forget that it's an accession. Ex- an exception-based system. So the DM is free to make exceptions to the rules if whatever you like. Um, because the basic rule is roll a D20, add your modifier, and find out what happens, right? Um, yeah, that's a really good you point. You are allowed to make 
Yeah, you're allowed to make those exceptions. Because I think I think if you, especially if you're doing a swashbuckling campaign, and this is an agreement between the DM and the players, uh, lean toward rule of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. And you got to know when to like. I want to throw out inspiration, like so. I'm running a five E game online, but it's a modern day setting where their players are playing uh, Delta Force operators, and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a mix of it's basically Delta Force versus um, uh, monsters of the week sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, actually, the big secret. Well, it's not really a secret. It's uh, I brought them into uh, Ravenloft, so I've got Delta Force operators with a limited amount of ammunition who are now going to fight Strahd von Zarovich and all the horrors of Ravenloft, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. and they're going to do it as operators. That's the conceit. But like when they're falling, they got blew back out of the back of the C one thirty during a Halo because Strahd had attacked it, and you know everything broke mm-hmm. loose, and they had no idea what was happening. They were making some perception rolls, and I was giving them some ideas of what to what was going on to see things. One of the things I want to do is set the tone right away that this is going to be a dark and dangerous land, not so much swashbuckling, but so you're haloing and you're coming through the fog and you're coming into Barovia and you're transitioning between dimensions, essentially. There's nothing mm. in d to really cover that, what I want to have happen. So I just asked them to make athletics checks and gave them D6 damage for bumps and bruises. Nice. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and that was it. So that, that I think, um, I think that, that, leads to another point I want to make is that I think there, even if you're not playing some of these other systems that have mechanics for those types of things, like you just mentioned bumps mm-hmm. and bruises. Mm-hmm. That's, I know that came out of Savage Worlds. What? Right. <laughs> really? <laughs> I did not know that. I know, Scott. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I think, I think there is something to that about like, you know, if there is a cool mechanic that exists in another system, I don't know that it's really harmful to bring it into, say, your D&D game. Or if there's something cool in D&D that you want to bring into Savage Worlds, for example, I don't know that it's really as harmful as people might think it you know, it could be, uh, it's not, it's not, I mean, if you, if you fail within five in, uh, the D and D game, I count that essentially as a partial success. I'll, I'll give you a little something, but I will make you understand that there's also a consequence for you succeeding in that action right. to a degree. And yeah. it just is what it is. I don't, I, I've been playing D and D since the Brown box when I was 10 years old. I, I don't need the book to tell me how to run a game successfully. Right. You know, <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, for example, like if you want to use a Benny's mechanic, give everybody three tokens at the start of a session and say, you can, re- you can re-roll your, you can re-roll your die rolls if you don't like the result. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Crazy talk. <laughs> no. There's, if, if you've heard like, Jer- if you've heard Jeremy Crawford yeah. um, on podcast before, <clears throat> and he's like the, the rules, <laughs> the keeper of the rules for D&D, he's like, you can do a lot to D&D. You're not going to break the game. Nope. You know, and as long as everybody is in agreement, you know, then it's it's fine. Don't don't worry about it. Yes, there are yes, there are rules, mechanics, and there's like supplements that just like they are not well tested. The mechanics right. don't work. <laughs> right, yeah. We understand that. You roll them back, you're fine. But it doesn't break the game. Like he's like, you can give everybody an artifact at level one, and it does not break how the game mm-hmm. runs. <laughs> Right, it it doesn't do anything because as a DM, you can either not maybe not invalidate, but you can like blunt those things, mm-hmm. or you can play it up, or you can have people chase them down for the artifacts you just gave them. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't it doesn't do anything as long as everybody's got the buy in. You know, everybody's happy with it, and everybody feels 
you know, every feels feels comfortable with that choice, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, as a DM, <clears throat> it's your job. You know, it's your job to have fun as well, but it's your job to sort of give, you know, find what is going to work for that party. And like you said, you know, if it is giving, you know, bennies or inspiration to the players and each session you get a bunch and I've done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've actually <laughs> done that before. Um, and just to try it out and see, you know, I basically you could purchase them, you know, through XP or whatever, just to try out different things. You know, it's it's not going to break. You're not going to break the game. I mean, uh, I remember I used to play um, uh, Jovian Chronicles and Heavy Gear uh, by oh, Silhouette, yeah. um, DreamPod Nine, the Silhouette system. And I had a friend who used D8s instead of D6s. Hmm. The the players would use D8s nice. instead of D6s, and he said they felt more heroic. It did not. He's like. The basic premise is use a D6. He says, I'll give him a D8 instead. And I was like, really? And how's that work out? He's like, it's perfectly fine. You know, they felt more heroic. They felt more like an anime, you know, I, I think he was playing Jovian Chronicles. He's a for- like, anime, you know, missile barrage, you know, real gun, <laughs> yeah. you know, Gundam, yeah. Gundam sort of game because <laughs> they could do such, such cool, so much cooler things. Yeah. And I was like, huh. That, I, and to me, that was like, you know, I was a lot younger then, but it's just like, I was like, that's really cool because I had no idea how to, ma- you know, manipulate mechanics back then. Um, but it's the same thing. It's like, if, if you want, if you want people to do, you know, if you want people to do more stupid things and make it feel like action and swashbuckler, mm-hmm. let them do anything they want, give them disadvantage, but let them use a Benny or use an inspiration point or hero point or whatever to cancel it so they can make a normal role. Right. And all of a sudden, it goes from this crazy, you're doing something stupid, it's going to be a minus five on the roll to like, oh, <laughs> I can maybe do that. Or it's like, I'm going to run up the, I'm going to run up this wall, I'll drop it on town and pop them. Okay, but I want to do a critical, so I'm going to use one of these to, tr- to try to get that critical, to get that success. And all of a sudden, your players are more, <clears throat> more into using into using that and I, it's, I feel the same thing as as bennies i i never knew like when i first started playing savage worlds i didn't know how to use bennies i was just like i started hoarding them right i'm like everyone I don't does know how this works everyone does yeah. <laughs> you, know, hit points. you guys can you guys you can tell me like everybody sort of hoards them and you're like i need to use these just to soak right like everybody's like you gotta use them to soak you gotta use them to soak we're like no and nobody I, uses them for anything else and you're like uh okay if you use them before that point you don't have to worry about soak <laughs> yeah ex- right. exactly and i didn't know that right but you know the 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 GM was like was encouraging us to to use them. He, he kind of gave a little bit like he's knew a lot of the new players, right? He gave us a little bit more. He's like, yeah, go ahead and use them. Oh, maybe you should use. And it was very very encouraging and not in an adversarial way where it's like, hey, hey you gotta ha- not have them when you need them. <laughs> it was more like, yeah, you know, oh, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, every time it was like everything's everything really cool. Here's another Benny. That sounds really cool. Do it. Right. Use a Benny right. for it. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. 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 Just, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I, I've never run Savage World, so I don't know uh, how that work that side works. But but when you have that resource, I, I guess it's part of for DM is to to give them that that feel that it is okay to do this. Yeah. It is encouraged to do take this. the risks, do the high, yeah. Take the risks, yeah. <laughs> you know. And your character can take a little bit of punishment. You know, you might need you might need to like a little some healing in, in the end. You know, might you might need to take a rest, but jump off the airship, 
dive at the the dragon's eye and you know roll down his spines and hopefully you catch onto his 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 tail or his or her tail before you fall off 100 200 300 feet down to the ground right you know I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you the acrobatics a disadvantage. You know that kind of. Thing. Well, like, you know, and 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 I think, I think in some cases, like you know, maybe don't do disadvantage, because like you know, if you if the player's trying to do something to feel really cool, and you're saying you know what you're going to roll two d twenties and you're going to take the worst one of the two, right? And that and mm-hmm, the, you know mm-hmm. you're like why am I even bothering, right? Yeah. So I'm really wondering, like you know, like why why do we as DMs feel really feel the need? to sometimes like inhibit that like and and not to say that we feel the need but just uh i don't know i feel like there's this fear of of empowering players sometimes and i don't understand Mm -hmm. why like it's because you're gonna lose the game your monsters are all gonna (laughs) die and it ends the story (laughs) i guess um yeah Uh, yeah i i feel like that's what it's like well i can't make this too easy you know um Yeah, uh, but I but why you know not? I, why not make it too easy? You know, but that's why. That, well, that's why I love the idea of like mooks and minions from fourth mm-hmm. edition. Because no matter what, again, yeah, I yeah. I use the same concept in fifth edition. Whatever, I don't really care. But that's the whole point of those. You pour them in there, and so now you're not fighting five goblins. You're fighting that goblin horde, and you're mowing them down. You're left mowing and them right. down, right? You're you're yeah. Aragorn on the hill, just yeah, cleaving. and you're feeling amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I totally agree. Actually, I think, I, I think, I, I think, just what you Christian you just said, and it actually hit something on the head. And I just thought of it as you was saying it. Instead of giving a disadvantage, just have more consequences. Yes, right. Try to do something. If you succeed, it succeeds. You awesome. do that cool thing, but, but you, you actually knock the candle over, and now the curtains are on fire. You know? Yeah, exactly. Have some consequences, so they'll try it, knowing that there might be a something interesting consequence and i don't mean like necessarily negative one but just something the environment changes something will change so it'll be like yeah you hit the dragon you kill him um but then he falls down on top of you and you're stuck underneath yeah right there's a consequence to that like that something like that and and uh because you don't got because there's no rules for that that's that's i think that's the things that we get caught up it's like oh there's not a rule for that, right? Very and even true. if it's just to take the next three rounds, that you got to lift the dragon, you got to lift this this thing off or, of you, or burrow you know? your way through it, you know? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Right? You've got to eat your way out right. of this or your, problem. A you know? member of your party has to break off from combat. As you're, you're as a game master, you don't have to kill and fight each PC. You can, you can, you can enact the principles mm-hmm. of actual warfare on them, and so. You know, the uh, side tangent is that's the principle of the five, five, six round, the, M- the M4. It's not to kill. It's to wound you so you go down and now I have to busy the adversary because now you're down, you're out. Now your medic has to deal with you and one of your teammates has to deal with you, probably two to get you stretcherized while a medic is providing an IV and triage, right? So now I've removed four to five mm-hmm. combatants from the battlefield with one round. Right. Or even, you know, without having to, without having to kill yeah, or even combat, exactly. combat tactics that are meant to just simply invoke fear. Yeah, absolutely. You right. Know, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Yeah. Um, if you want to go, oh, go, no, no, go ahead, I say if you want to do this and if you really want to start, get this going, do it yourself as the GM. Nothing will haul the table and have everyone's breath freeze. And the first time the orc chieftain kicks pieces of the campfire in the face of the fighter right yeah. before he attacks him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and gets advantage on the attack roll for it. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
you know uh so that's you know that that's an interesting thing going back to elements environmental elements and such uh you know i've 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 used similar elements actually i've used elements just from magic being cast and thrown around Sure. Like somebody did like, uh, mm-hmm. it was Savage Worlds, they did like a blast with like an ice, you know, it was an ice theme or trapped uh, power of the uh, the uh, cone template, right? And and it was like in an apartment building. This is in Sharn as well. <laughs> and uh, it was an apartment building. And I'm like, you know what? The entire floor is coated in ice. It's And you're going to be slipping and sliding. And then somebody else did yeah. fireball or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, okay, now the bookshelf is on fire. Right. Or you there's know, steam and, in the room. Now everyone's at a, di- you know, there's steam or, or <laughs> yeah. and, and smoke and you're yeah. choking <laughs> and, you know, and that's not, that wasn't to punish and them, the but, you know, but it was, it, it did make the encounter in the set piece a little bit more exciting. Like, you know, now you got ice on the floor. Well, guess what? You could slide across it if you yeah. want to, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah. That's that follow through that a lot of people don't have. Cause it's just like, ah, you know, there was an old article in dragon magazine way back in the eighties that sort of got me on that idea of, that you, that you were talking about, right? Mm. Follow through with the secondary and tertiary uh, order of effects for things. And it was essentially this article on, it was the super nerd article of, oh, how hot is a dragon's breath? Well, let's say the dragon breathes in his cave. What happens next? Well, here's the melting point of lead, magic items, gold, silver, platinum. It was like, what is Stone. happening? <laughs> right. Yeah, right? But I was like, oh man, that's pretty cool because – because essentially in old D&D, you didn't get experience points for killing a monster. You got it for you gold. You got experience points for killing the gold. So you're removing gold, yeah. that that treasure. Right. <laughs> he breathes fire. Now there's a lump of melting, you know, molten gold on the, on the <laughs> right. pile. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do like that. I love your story about that. The, the fight in Sharn, man. I, I enjoy that every time. And I use that as mm-hmm. an example for people of why Eberron is amazing and why, you know, we need to play Savage Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> – yeah, I, I think it really is about um, – you know how you how you paint the scene you know yeah um yeah uh yeah and we have a note here i I think that's really cool too and it's you know start with a chase yes i always do yeah Yeah. like that's the first thing i do i did that in my con game man and it was like they were just like all right it's on you know it's a hit yeah it sets the tone it gives you a small example of the mechanics of how they're going to work and Mm -hmm. everyone no one, no player wants to lose and let something get away. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. In one of the um, adventures from uh, Across Eberron, the, the series, the first adventure has a – it's in Sharn, and it has a sort of a, a, a reverse chase. It's basically – it's Sharn chicken. So basically you're thrown <laughs> off the edge of a building, and there's stuff that comes up at you, and you can end at any time with a feather token. You can activate it. But that means you lose because the last person who activates it wins. Sure. So it's your team against a, a bunch of uh, a Deathsgate, um, Deathsgate um, uh, Adventures Guild. So it's you guys and you're just basically falling down. That, there's stuff that's coming up at you and That is and so whatnot. baller. And, that's like the Eberron version of a Go Gang, right? Right. From yeah. Shadowrun. Basically. Yeah. Basically, it's it's your initiation. Your first level, here's your initiation of what's going to happen. And you basically have three rounds before you basically have to activate the token or you're going to you're gonna, you're gonna splat on the ground. So it's kind of like it, there's there's stuff that's happening. Um, I, I remember I, I, I sent some of the, the basic outlines. The, the writer um, 
um, the writer, she did an, a wonderful, wonderful job with it. But I was just like, hey, I got this. There's, I, I got to put Sharn Chicken, like <laughs> we got to actually put Sharn Chicken <laughs> into the into the game, and there's mechanics for it now. So I'm like, ha, here's a, here's a fun thing, and it's basically I, I wanted that. I, I really thought, oh. Why don't we try in media res? I know it's hard sometimes if it's not a con game, like you want to have some build up, but it's just like, yeah, just throw them in and see what happens. Yeah, sure, right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. I can imagine too, like I hold, I hold, I hold, I hold. But I'm just thinking in my head now, combining like the Pathfinder chase cards or even some of the ideas I have of crazy things. Like, okay, cool. I need a uh I need an athletics check for you to run down the side of a skiff that's coming at you, you know, as it's coming up and delivering passengers or maybe a dexterity save in order to, you know, maneuver yourself and slim yourself down and rock it down past that skiff before it slams into you. Right. And just, there's so many cool ways of handling that, man, that is, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the hour. Uh, any closing thoughts on swashbuckling action in your games? It's Eberron. You, if you're not doing it, I'm, you may be playing Eberron wrong. <laughs> Even if you're going the noir route, there should be yeah. some swashbuckling stuff in there. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. action, the yeah. action should be a little over the top and whatnot. I mean, so I, I think my takeaway is is really for uh, for GMs to like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to let the power that the players feel powerful or to empower them yourself. And, and, uh, you know, what's like, ask yourself, what's the real consequence of this, right? What's the real consequence of just saying yes. You know? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really is a, it really is a DM side thing. Let the players, uh, feel like heroes, you know, be, be their fans, mm-hmm. be the, the, the fans of, of the characters. Right. Um, I like know, that. Let them let them shine. Let them let them do cool stuff. Um, let them get himself into trouble, and uh, you know, do stuff to get themselves out. But and um, I, I love your suggestion about yes with a consequence, you know, or even like if they roll within five, yeah. you succeed. But you know, there's some there's some issues. I think that's that's another way to get that flat die roll feeling a little bit more. Um, uh, more giving, I guess. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess the biggest thing for people really, honestly, and this is going to sound, I don't know, different is don't just play one system, play fate, play D and D play savage worlds, play powered by the apocalypse and take everything that works. Like you said earlier, if there's something that works and there's a lot of cool tools in every single one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, why why not pull in some of the combat options from another system that any player can do? Right? Absolutely. Why not? Why not say, yeah, you guys, you all get plus one to your attack rolls for, you know, ganging up on that target, you know, or plus two, plus three, however many. Yeah. And I I, I want, and if, if nobody knows, I mean, the people who develop these games, they don't develop them in a, in a, in, in blinders, in a bubble. Um, I think pretty much every single designer that I know plays multiple. Oh, games absolutely! And they they learn stuff. I, you know, I've, I mean, I've I, heard people like, oh, you know, they don't know how to play this game. They, they they're so stuck. <laughs> I'm like, no. I, I yeah. mean, the guy who the guy who who wrote the D and D rule, like Jeremy Crawford, who wrote the, like I've I've now talked to him, <clears throat> who wrote the D and D rules. Uh, he ran he wrote two different game systems mm-hmm. before he w- started working for Watsi. Um, you know. 
there are certain things that people want and certain people things that they wanted. But at the end of the day, they, they said, well, well, this is what we want D&D to be. But they, they, they know about stuff. Yeah. And, and so does everybody else. I mean, there's nothing that's developed in a vacuum. And it's, there's no competition here. I mean, if there's something cool that you want to use, run it by your players, run it by your GM, see if it works, see if it runs. Um, but anything that gives you a, that swashbuckling action thing where you get to kind of do some cool stuff, I'm pretty sure for an Eberron game, it'll run. If it's a Call of Cthulhu game, it'll be like, no, you can't have anything. Right. And that's how the game's supposed to run. But, you know, <laughs> that's different. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that that's actually a really good segue for uh, – I'm, I'm thinking for next episode, maybe we talk about noir, right? Ooh. Step mm-hmm. into the shadows a little bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think – you know, I think you're right, Wayne. I think you know it depends on the t- on the tone of the setting or the, or the adventure that you're running. Um, if you are doing a very you know noir investigative or even you know cosmic horror type of thing, maybe not so much mm-hmm. swashbuckling mm-hmm. action, right? Maybe a little bit right, right. here and there. Um, still empower players to some extent, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're right about that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, unless there's any other thoughts. All right. No, man. Cool. Well, uh, thank you all for listening and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, and also don't be afraid to head over to iTunes, drop a review if you'd like. Um, we've, yeah, yeah, we've had some really nice reviews come in. Thank you all, uh, for those. We really do appreciate them. And uh, yeah, so again, join us next time when we step into the shadows, talk about bringing noir into your campaigns. And until next time, keep exploring.